This holiday, whether you're making a Kroger Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Kroger has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hello, Julie speaking. Hello, Julie. It's Tracy Ariel Cohen. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. Were you yeah. trying to figure out how to use Zencaster? <laughs> I'm sorry? Were you trying to figure out how to use Zencaster? I'm I'm not good with any of those technology things. Oh, <laughs> she said you were going to call me on my cell. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> okay, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it's just the uh, sound quality may not be uh, as good as the other stuff. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. We'll do our best. Um, I have a very old computer, so everything is uh, challenging. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> That's not either. None of that Mac stuff here. <laughs> No, exactly. All right. So, well, we were, we're calling about Ashante, which is yes. Um, I guess my first question is, how is this event fit in with all of the rest of the fundraising you do for the MUHC? So, we do a lot of fundraising that is globally for the priority needs of the MUHC, and we also do some very targeted fundraising that is uh, for certain diseases and certain departments and linked to, of course, the priority needs of those areas. So this event in particular is to support the Breast Center at the MUHC and, and its own priorities. It, it's a great opportunity, uh, Tracy, to engage not only the staff, uh, the physicians, but also the patients and their families in a fundraising initiative. So when it's very targeted, it allows them to feel like they're giving back and, and really working towards a common goal. It could be quite empowering for the patients. Um, is there? When did it start? Is this? A, was there a particular person who got this underway? Well, it was the the committee, um, the, the three co-chairs actually, uh, sitting down with the physicians, and uh, and it started off with a very specific need, and so not people in general, but but a need um, that is not being met in the community, and that's lymphedema. Have you ever heard of that? No. So lymphedema is a, an absolutely terrible um, uh, swelling, basically, of the arms and the legs that happens after surgery when you remove lymph nodes. It affects about 25% of breast cancer survivors uh, who post-surgery will have this swelling. There's absolutely no cure for it. And the only thing that we can do is to manage the disease through, obviously, early diagnosis is always essential, but also through physiotherapy. And so you manipulate the affected areas, and there's also some bandages. So the government recently decided to cover the bandages, at least a portion of the bandages that the patients need, but is still, unfortunately, not covering the um, actual physiotherapy that relieves the pain. And, uh, and you can take a look on, on the internet of what lymphedema is and what it looks like, but it is life-changing for these patients. Many of them don't want to leave home anymore. And um, 
And so we actually have the Canadian lead, um, the physician who has been really leading the battle to get lymphedema care covered across the country. Uh, her name is Dr. Anna Towers. And uh, and so it was in, in meetings, obviously, with Dr. Towers throughout the, the last couple of years. Our foundation has always covered those services, I would say, probably for the last decade. And in the breast center, we cover the services for our, our patients as well. And so anyone who is afflicted with this is is uh, at least will have access to care. Now, that's not good enough. I think everyone else in the province should have access, but at least we're doing our part in making sure that uh, that our patients are taken care of. So the conversation started with lymphedema and, and saying to ourselves, well, uh, with, our, with the patients, how do we make sure that these services continue since they're not covered by government? And what else can we do to uh, not only improve the survival rate, but also improve their quality of life post-surgery and treatment. So um, I just looked up a picture of what lymphedema is. Um, mm -hmm. It's, uh, I mean, this is extreme. They basically, the picture that I'm looking up has um, swelling in various ways. One note just makes it look kind of um, bloody, and then another right up to, um, you know, uh, legs that are clearly five or six times bigger than what they were before the... Exactly. Thing. Now, for for breast cancer patients, it would be mostly the arms because it's in the areas, right? It's if you affect oh, the lymph nodes in the breast. Okay. So it would be the arms. Um, but it's a high number, 25%. So in, in all the cancers, uh, ovarian cancer and, uh, and breast cancer, patients are the most affected by this. Wow. And, I mean, quarter of them... <laughs> I can see why they don't want to leave home. I mean, it's, it's like a whole no. different person, and they've already just gone through a very traumatic um, situation anyway because they've just, you know, survived breast cancer. It's yeah, now their, their quality of life is affected. So, so our three co-chairs, um, you know, one of them is a cancer survivor, um, and and the others have been very, very involved. So Cynthia Price uh, and Joanne uh, Rudy have been heavily involved in the Quebec Breast Cancer Foundation throughout uh, probably the last 20 years. Um, and Anna is, uh, is a breast cancer survivor. So, you know, they were personally touched by these issues. So on top of the lymphedema services, the, the funds raised from this event, this is the second annual event, uh, is they're going to the wellness program. So that it includes lymphedema, but it also goes above and beyond. It includes resource guides for to help patient education. It, you know, it's a very, very stressful um, time to be diagnosed and to go through uh, the treatments. And so we want to be able to help our patients and their family through that process. Um, Preoperative kinesiology support sessions. So this is, again, we have proven through our research projects that providing kinesiology before surgery actually helps them recover afterwards. And we have a research project right now at the Breast Center that is actually um, verifying if physiotherapy before the surgery will reduce the risk of lymphedema, for example. So we're looking at all the pre-op care, which is so key, but again, is is not something that is covered by our regular health care. Right. Um, Post-operative support services. Um, it's again, I'm looking through what does that mean for for patients. 
well, that's the, you know, the nutritionist and the psychosocial. So all of those areas that um, really help the entire patient. Right. And, and the kinesiologist, if there's lymphedema and social work. Exactly. Um, now, I noticed last year you raised $120,000. Um, exactly. It was our many, first event. Yeah. And how many patients would that cover? Do you know? Or is there some sort of... I don't know off the top of my head, but we can certainly pull that number and uh, and get back to you. Okay. Perfect. And I noticed that this particular event is taking, care at the Mount, uh, taking place at the Mount Stephen on October 18th, and, exactly. uh, which is a pretty... Um, was that where it was last year as well? It was there last year as well. Yeah. It's a very it been a good wonderful partner. place. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's a very nice place. And as you know, it's important in these uh, fundraising events to uh, to find something that is central and is a bit different from uh, other events. Right. And um, so you had 200 guests last year. Um, do you know how many people have reserved so far this year? We're still uh, is, what, three weeks. We're away. still in the uh, we're still in the middle of the sales. So um, we're still confident to be able to uh, surpass last year's. Oh, good. And I noticed that um, some of the other partners in this, um, in, in, in addition to um, the itself and McGill University, of course, um, the Goodman Cancer Center, the Genome Center, and the Rossi Cancer Network. Can you tell me a little bit about what each of those groups does? I mean, not McGill University. I think everyone knows what that is. <laughs> so, so this year we've added a partner foundation. Um, we're always striving to collaborate with others uh, because that's the best way to help our patients. And so the Cedars Cancer Foundation, which is a foundation of the MUHC, has joined forces with us to make this um, event even more successful. And, um, and the Cedars Cancer Foundation is heavily involved with the uh, Rossi Cancer Network, which, you know, if you look back in past announcements, is uh, funded obviously by the Rossi family and, uh, and is a way to break down the silos between the NDHC, McGill, uh, JGH, and St. Mary's for Cancer Care, and, and all of the foundations uh, related also contribute to the POTS. So anytime there is a funded project, uh, everyone is engaged and everyone contributes financially, including the Rossi uh, network. Okay, okay, perfect. So then you have a uh, network of people who are already um, behind your presentation before it even gets launched. Yeah, I mean, in all of cancer, because the patients flow through these various areas, you know, we, we have incredible complementarity where we don't duplicate the services. There's certain cancers which we are specialized in, certain cancers will go to the Jewish, and, and of course, there's some cancers that go to St. Mary's. So, so this way, we make sure that the patients are always in the best place and be treated by the best team possible for their cancer. Right, okay. Um, and do you find um, with this kind of, I mean, you've only done one, this is the second one, but did you find last year that there were um, new partners throughout the year because of the project last year? Well, it allows us to start a conversation, um, and that's that's key, right? We, Even though we're not raising millions through a fundraising event, it allows us to meet um, patients who are interested in giving back and interested in getting involved. And, uh, and absolutely, there were many conversations that uh, that went in other directions, and many many of the attendees became important donors as well to the program. 
Well, and then, then what is it? In your job, I think we just go to a higher level. In your job, you actually handle a heck of a lot of events. <laughs> so how um, how do you handle, I mean, just give me a sort of an overview of a day in your life. It can't be that easy. Because <laughs> um, everything is well, so emotional. I mean, you're dealing with life and well, death. Well, <laughs> It's funny that you say that. Um, and, you know, almost everyone in the foundation, all the staff are also patients. Our board of directors are also patients. And the physicians are, you know, so dedicated and so passionate about their work. So every meeting I go to, everyone is striving to make things move and save more patients. So it, it is not a job. It's more of a mission. <laughs> And um, and when I come home and I wasn't successful in bringing a gift, it is not, it is, it it really hits us emotionally because we want to be able to solve this problem. And when you meet your first patient with lymphedema, for example, when you come home at night, it's hard to let that go. You just want to go back to work and try to find another solution, try to find more money to be able to provide additional care. So uh, a day in my life is, you know, every day I meet either physicians, nurses, or patients um, who are looking to work together to find solutions. Um, but it's also empowering, Tracy. It's um, There's always, you know, one of the things I've learned in, in being in healthcare for this long is there's always a way to make it work. If you get everybody around the table engaged in finding a solution, you do find a solution, and that's empowering. Can you give me an example of something that surprised you in that uh, case? I mean, obviously that's not connected to this particular event, but in terms of um, something that looked like it was a, a very difficult solution to find and something that yeah. happened, you know? So we have a physician um, at the MUHC um, who is um, specialized in rare diseases, uh, rare genetic diseases. And um, because of his expertise, we get patients from all around the province. And, um, and we're also the only place, one of the only places in the world to have a center for innovative medicine, which is an area dedicated 100% to clinical trials. So he had a patient at one point, and, and there were quite a few publications around this case, that came from one of the regions of Quebec, so out of the McGill territory, um, who was 32 years old in palliative care at the time, and uh, no physician he had seen was able to identify the source, so they had put him into palliative. And for a father, that's difficult to swallow at 32 years old. It turns out what he had was, was basically thrush in his brain. It's really hard to get rid of a thrush. And uh, it turns out through the work that our physician did, he mixed medication, and eventually he found that a mixture of two existing medications for other diseases actually worked for this patient. And he was sent home to be with his family. So, and this is a, a physician that we fund heavily because, of course, uh, this kind of research is so ultra-specialized that, uh, that it takes a lot of tender love and care. But it's very encouraging because it reminds us that, uh, that we are able to pull off miracles when we have dedicated people. So do you still have a, is that, um, 
patient. Uh, I mean, he's still alive, I assume. Is he still yeah, connected absolutely. to the hospital? Has he become one of your donors? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't tell you that, obviously, but uh, <laughs> that information is confidential. But uh, um, he is certainly unbelievably grateful, and I'm sure every time he tells his story about what happens to him and to his family, it uh, it is important for, for the hospital and also important for Montreal. Yeah, well, it is. It's a very exciting, a very positive story from the end of the day. And, uh, I mean, it does sort of show that if you keep working hard, there are miracles. And that's, I guess, part of what you're, you know, not not very many people think about a fundraiser as a person, a miracle worker. Well, we make the difference as a foundation. We make the difference between quality and excellence. Um, We fund innovation. There is no government budget to fund innovation. That is really the community, the drive that the community has. There's also no budget in in the government for development of new equipment. So when there's a new piece of equipment, new piece of technology on the market, um, the foundations support that because the existing budget is really just for the replacement of the existing platform. So what we do is we make the difference between between quality care and, and excellent care, which is what we all want and we all demand. Yeah, no, and, and uh, well, I mean, how much, in ter- do you have um, uh, statistics about how much your foundation uh, supports above and beyond, I mean, in terms of the percentage of the budget of the MUHC? So we don't, um, it's important to note that we don't fund items that are covered in the operating budget. We always cover what's the above and beyond. So just to make sure that we don't confuse that. Um, we we raised last year $24 million in revenue plus our investments. So that was a, a record-breaking year for us. It was a 25% increase in revenue. And um, Oh, congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Um, how long have you been there? It'll be uh, three years in October. So that uh, success is really uh, in part uh, due to your leadership. You can take credit for a lot of that. <laughs> well, it's in it's it is due to the team and the board. We have an absolutely exceptional board, and if you can take a look at the list online. Um, in the last year alone, we have brought in a lot of, of really big, important new names. Um, People like and a lot of a lot of francophones as well, which is important to note uh, that uh, that many francophone leaders are are really supporting the MUHC and, and helping to raise funds and helping to uh, engage the francophone community. Uh, to give you an example, Michel Boisvert, uh, who is executive vice president of Caisse de has just joined. Uh, Marc Parent, who's president of CAE, also joined. So these are really important folks in the community. So it's thanks to the community, it's thanks to the entire team, the staff and the board and, and the physicians who are working with us that we're able to have that kind of success. Um, you know, okay. donors are all patients. Yeah, well, that, that unfortunately that's true. It would be nice to get some donors who don't have to be patients first, but what can you do? <laughs> um, I, that actually raises another question is um, your relationship. Do you have a relationship with any of the um, Francophone funding agents, foundations? Do you do any joint projects? So we had a, um, a very long joint corporate campaign with the Shim Foundation. Now, this was to build the two new hospitals. And uh, it was a great success, and we had a wonderful collaboration between the two foundations and the two institutions. Um, 
and uh, and we have, you know, we're, we are preparing now for our next big fundraising initiatives, and some of them will be in collaboration not only with them, and, but we hope with other hospitals uh, across the province. Uh, the the funding agents across the country, so for research, are are asking for it, and the donors are asking for it as well. Is that we work more and more together, and uh, so we plan to do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and now, just on the personal side, um, you used to be a journalist, and you've moved. Uh, <laughs> you've moved <laughs> into a whole different world. Um, how yes. does it feel? What kind of? Uh, uh, I assume the adrenaline is similar because you have just as much emotion in your job, but it's a different kind of. Uh, you know, other other than talking to journalists like me, you don't actually have. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I. I mean, I'm going to speak very honestly to you. When I was a journalist. Because, you know, I'm, I'm an incredibly passionate person, as you know, I found it very difficult to cover the story but not be involved in it. And what I find now is that I have an opportunity to actually have direct impact on my community in hands-on. <laughs> and so it, it is very similar in terms of you know how you tell the story has the impact and and you engage the community, but uh, it's just a, a different step in in getting actively involved in mobilizing people to have an impact on the community. Well, and your skills are similar in that you have to be um, a solid spokesperson and uh, you know accurate statistics in your hand and, and willing to say you don't know when you don't know. Absolutely. So, um, Absolutely, and 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 you know we're um, we're we're striving to we're striving to mobilize as many people as possible. If you think about it, um, we're the second most important research hospital in the country, right after UHN in Toronto. We have 700,000 patient visits at the Glen alone. 500,000 of those adults. Those are big numbers. Those are a lot of people who um, can work together and have a desire to work together to improve care for their community. So what our objective is is simply to help them work together and help mobilize them. Um, yeah, well, I'm glad that you pointed that out because uh, I think those numbers are very important and they sort of give uh, listeners uh, an idea of the kind of scope of the project you're working on and the this is one event in a very large fundraising effort. Absolutely. Uh, it's an important um, event because it's, um, it's a targeted <laughs> event. <laughs> and yeah, and, and, and yes, exactly. You have absolutely... And uh, in, in order to operate the entire initiative that I've mentioned, and we can send it to you in writing, we need about $300,000 per year, which the foundation supports. So those are also big numbers. Wow. Yeah, that's... Uh, a big gap. Um, and then back to the personal side, uh, you know that this uh, interview is also going to be using it, being used for my podcast, Unapologetically Canadian. So I just want to know, do you consider yourself a Canadian? And if so, what does that mean to you? Oof. What a great question. Um, I absolutely consider myself a Canadian, um, a Canadian first. And, um, and a Quebecer, and of course a Montrealer as well, and uh, and I think that that defines us. Canadians are very different, and I think with uh, what we're seeing to with our neighbors down south, it seems to, uh, from my perception, um, have 
reaffirmed the differences between being Canadian and uh, others around the world. And uh, we we have a um, we have a tendency towards being more diplomatic, more um, engaging, and uh, collaborative. And uh, and I those are those are things that I strive to do every day at work and at home and in my personal life. Um, I also sit on, uh, on with a group on a board of directors with a, a really important group called the BEMP Forum, and uh, where we strive to find solutions to break down those barriers across the country from east to west. And, uh, and we're meeting next week, and this is part of, on my personal time, one of the areas that I find most important, and uh, I hope to be able to contribute. Oh, can you talk a little bit about what the, the BAMF Forum does? I, mean, I don't know that much about them. I know a little bit, but our, re- our listeners may not know anything about them at all. Well, the BAMF Forum is uh, an organization that was created by a small group of Canadians um, after the referendum in '95, and, uh, and the idea behind it was really to engage Canadians across the country to break down those barriers and, and have everybody working together. And um, there's a lack of communications in the past, and so that was really important to get people around the country. And it's really targeted at younger Canadians. Uh, Of course, we should be defining, um, so it was founded officially in 2002, we should be defining what kind of country we want to live in um, in the next 20, 30 years. And uh, so it's a a group of very, very passionate young Canadians. Although I'm not so young, they are very young and, uh, and very engaged. And uh, we meet officially for a conference once a year, but we have many uh, chapter uh, provincial meetings uh, as well and, um, and seminars. And, uh, and we talk about the environment, uh, indigenous issues, talk about uh, politics. Many um, politicians from, uh, from every party come and speak with us as well to be able to have that diversity of, of conversation. We talk about culture, and, uh, and it's, it's really about um, building that curiosity and, and seeking solutions, and that all of the members who we're very careful to welcome in members that represent a different diversity and different age groups and different cultural backgrounds and and make sure that these are all individuals that are also incredibly engaged in their communities. And so they bring back this information, this new knowledge um, to their own work and to their own networks. And so where's the meeting next week? The meeting next week is actually in Yellowknife. Oh my gosh, that's fabulous. We're going to Inuvik first and then Yellowknife, and we'll be visiting uh, some villages and communities, and we'll be hearing from them on some of their own challenges and, uh, and seeing it for ourselves. And I'm hoping to have some time to go visit some of the clinics that are there as well. And, uh, and seeing how, of course, it's impossible not to have impact on our perception. And uh, we're all very anxious to hear from them. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, and it'll be, um, will you have any presentations in Montreal about uh, your experience or uh, in future? Uh, none are planned. Uh, this, is a, this is a closed group because we want to make sure that everyone can speak very openly. Uh, but, of course, you know, you cannot leave such um, such an event without 
changing as a person and your own perception changes. And so I'd be happy to uh, to speak with you afterwards if you'd like. Oh, that would be wonderful. Thank you very much. Um, and thank you very much for your time today. I'm uh, very pleased that uh, Lisa Sante is uh, going to get some attention that it needs. And uh, I'm always thrilled uh, to talk with you. And uh, hopefully we'll see each other soon. Sounds great. And Thank you so much, Tracy. By the way, in, in my introduction to our presentation, I do tell people that we're already friends and we know each other. So. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to worry about hiding that. Yes, I'm very transparent. When I introduce oh, I you, I talk to you, I, I say right away that we're friends so people know. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for helping us with this because coverage obviously makes a big um, impact on ticket sales. So thank you so much. You're welcome, and uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.